Are you full of health and wellness information yet struggling to implement into your daily life? Or do you have your health sorted out but struggling to integrate it with your other areas of your life? We've surveyed a number of Wellness Couch fans and recognize that this is the biggest challenge that most of you face in daily life. How do you turn your knowledge into action and a lifestyle? Enter the Wellness Breakthrough. For three days and two nights in February, eight of your Wellness Couch favorites are gathering in Melbourne for one incredible event, and we just have three spots left. Entry to the Wellness Breakthrough is by application only. To apply, simply go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. And apologies in advance if you apply and we're all sold out. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Our next guest is a multi-award-winning author, but it's not just the authorship that impresses me. It's the fact that our next guest, she says openly and loudly what many of us are thinking quietly at night, but maybe we're too scared to say it. She's been in the industry a long time. She is the most um, experienced. She's the wise owl of the wellness couch. She is the Up For A Chat co-host and the founder of Changing Habits. Would you give a very warm and inspired welcome to the beautiful Cindy O'Meara. It's nice to have a standing ovation before you even start. It's the best thing. Um, I woke up this morning at what I thought was 6.30, and I jumped out of bed thinking, Kim didn't wake me. She said she'd wake me before she went for her, her run. And I, I said, I thought I could hear her, and I said, Kim, are you there? Are you there? And she goes, yes, Cindy, it's only quarter to six. That clock's wrong. <laughs> so I had a little bit of time to think about what I was going to start with today. And I was flicking through Facebook because I often get a lot of inspiration through Facebook. And I read something that I want to read to you that I feel is the essence of what my whole talk is about. I'm sure that this was sent to me uh, by an angel, maybe my sister, I'm not really sure. I have to take glasses off to read, not like most people have to put them on. Um, all right, so this is the death of somebody. She died this morning at 1.40. Her name was Anna Kitson Ferguson. She died from breast cancer, and this was her gift to the world. This is what she said. I do hope that if anything has come from us sharing this journey together is that we have all become a little wiser and more aware and responsible in the choices we take with our health. I hope we have all been more empowered to always question, investigate, and get a third, fourth, hell, even a fifth opinion, and become your own health expert. No one, and she puts this in capitals, no one will fight for your life as much as you will, and no one knows what strengths will lie within you. So to me, when I read that, I just thought, this is what my talk's about. And this is happening so often where we are not taking responsibility for our health. We are not listening to our body. Do you know your body will whisper to you what's wrong? And if you don't listen, it will start to yell. And if you're not yelling, it will then scream at you. 
And what we do is that we think that we can just let those whispers go and take a Panadol or an aspirin or whatever the painkiller is, an anti-inflammatory. But your body's intelligent. It knows what it's doing. And Dwight Lundell said this, that the population will become split between the smart and the dumb. The smart ones will begin taking their health into their own hands because they're already seeing that what we are doing now is not working. And I I read the front page of the paper, and I shouldn't have read the front page of the Melbourne paper today, and I got really um, emotional about what is happening in our healthcare system, the dictatorial ship that is happening as far as what they want us to do to our bodies that we may not agree with. And I think as a nation that, and this is not my words, but this is from Natasha Campbell McBride, but I agree with her entirely. She said, we have been seduced away from our kitchen. And it is a woman and a man's, I believe now, empowered divine right to be in that kitchen, to feed her family, to heal a nation. And that's what we have to do. We have to get back into that kitchen. But we're so confused about what we can eat or what we can't eat, what we should be doing. And remember, food is just a part of this. I'm just the foodie. I love all everything to do with food, but it's a part of the healing journey. It's not the only thing we should be looking at. I believe education is one of the most important things, and this is why. So Thursday night, I get a phone call from Sunrise. Sunrise says to me, oh, there's new research out, but if you don't eat breakfast, you lose weight. Would you like to comment on it? And I said, sure. So I flicked through, it was in America apparently, there was all this stuff happening in America, and so of course Sunrise picked up on what was happening in America, so they asked me as an expert to come on and and talk about it. So I did a bit of research the night before, and I started to read the research, and this is what the research was about. So it was about having three groups of people, there were only 12 people in each group, One ate nothing for breakfast. The next person ate Frosted Flakes, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes for breakfast. And the other one ate Quaker Quick Oats for breakfast. So the whole idea of the research was to prove that Quaker Quick Oats reduced your cholesterol. That was what the whole research was about. But when it didn't do it, because what happened was that the group that didn't have anything to eat, yes, they lost a small amount of weight in four weeks, but four weeks is not a significant amount of time. Yes, they lost a small amount of weight in four weeks, but their cholesterol went up. But the other two, the Frosted Flakes and the the oatmeal, they didn't change, didn't go down, neither of them changed in their cholesterol levels. So I don't know what exactly happened, but somebody picked it up and said, oh, this is about weight loss. So that I'm reading around and reading away, and it's all, to me, mumbo-jumbo, really. And I get to the bottom and I read the acknowledgements. We'd like to thank PepsiCo for funding this research. PepsiCo owns Quaker Oats. Always right. So this to me is why we need to not listen to the media, start educating ourselves, start creating, you know, new things that are happening in your life that you are not being cajoled. We've got these blinkers on and we've got to take them off. We have to open ourselves out out to new possibilities to see what's happening. So I started writing for a paper. That's where I started, was writing for the newspaper. But my voice was muffled because I had an editor that was being sued by food companies. So I wrote a book. 
And that's why I thought I would educate people. And from the book, I went to protocols and programs. And all I've done is educate. That's all my main aim is to do, is to educate. And this year, we started the Changing Habits Education course. It's a 12-month online course that will give you the skills to understand what I just explained to you just then. And here, in here at the moment, I have um, quite a few of my students. So thank you guys for coming. Put your, put your hands up. Thank, oh, wow, we've got quite a few. Thank you for coming. Because... What they've done is that they've actually said, I've had enough. I need to educate myself in order to become a ripple effect for my, or to be a change for my family and to perhaps become a ripple effect in the community because it is actually by example that we make changes. So we have to make the change to ourselves first. And then by example, someone will say to you, hey, you're looking great. What are you doing? And then you become this amazing ripple effect that changes a family, a community, a country, and perhaps even the world. And the, the whole idea with changing and educating yourself is not being cajoled by what's happening out there. This year, I started on my documentary. So I figured, well, the book did so much. First of all, you know, the paper, the Sunshine Coast Daily, then the book, then the education program. But I want to get to more people. So I started a documentary this year. It was quite amazing. What I did was I'd been thinking about this for quite a few years. And a week before Christmas, I did a video about what the documentary would be about. And I sent it to these people and asked them, would they like to be involved in the documentary? Within 24 hours, Dr. Vandina Shiva... Seventh most influential woman in the world said yes. Then Terry Wall said yes. Then uh, it just it just kept going and going and going. So as you can see, I have Dr. Stephanie Seneff, uh, an amazing researcher at MIT. Uh, I have Dr. Rodney, Rodney Ford. He is a um, gastroenterologist, a pediatric gastroenterologist and allergist. I had... Um, uh, Dr. Garland, Dr. Garland's a Fifth Avenue, New York, um, like medical doctor who only works on the microbiome, getting it fixed. Mark Sissons, yes, um, I've got Pete Evans, definitely. <laughs> Dr. Terry Wall, Sally Fallon, Sarah Ballantyne, Joel Salatin, who is, um, I'm, I'm assuming you know who these people are. They are very influential people and they all said yes. The only two people missing off there is Dr. Perlmutter. I interviewed him last week and Kim Morrison, but you know what she looks like. So, all good. And this is what I learned. And I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but this is just what they've done because the whole thing is called What's With Wheat? Why, in the 60s and 70s when I was brought up, I didn't know anyone with a gluten intolerance. I knew one person with celiac disease and that was my friend's sister. I'd never heard of it. And now everybody's heard of it. So what's with wheat? What's happened? Why are we in such a state with it? Why is the paleo movement um, just going full strength at the moment? And why is going off grain such a trendy thing to do when it has been part of our, our lives for so long? And I feel that there's this willful blindness that's happening. There's information that you could and should know, but you somehow manage not to know. And I think that that's happening within our um, health professionals, in our politicians. I don't think it's just about us as, as individuals that are willfully blind. But I know every single one of you are not willfully blind. There's a history of willful blindness. And what I'd like to do is talk to you about three things, uh, and three things that have been 
um, wiped off our plate or told that it's the magic bullet, that, did I just get a 30? Okay, have I been going 30 minutes? Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay, I just thought I had an hour. Sorry, guys, I just got a little bit confused there. All right, it's all good. We'll just go really fast. I'll speak so fast that you will understand everything. I'll go two and a half speed. No. (laughs) Okay. So these are three foods that have been wiped off our plate by the nutritional guidelines. First of all, salt. Salt because it caused hypertension. Salt doesn't cause hypertension. It's what they've done to salt. It's our lifestyle that causes hypertension. It's about looking at a different type of lifestyle and a different type of salt. What about our fats? Fat doesn't cause heart disease. It's an old food. It's a food we've been eating eating for years, but heart disease is a trendy disease, a new disease. And if I, you know, there's so much I could talk to you about fats, but it's not the thing that causes heart disease. And sugar, this really gets me. And Damien alluded to this. Fructose is in fruit. Now, I don't have time to talk about them all, but fructose is in fruit. Do you know the importance of fructose? Fructose is the precursor to a pathway that our bacteria do in our gut. And that bacteria starts with something called PEP. Fructose leads into the PEP, into what we call the shikimate pathway. It's a seven-step pathway that gives us our aromatic proteins, our amino acids, which then in turn turn into our neurotransmitters, dopamine, noradrenaline, things like that. Fructose is important, and yet we wipe it off saying that it's a a bad food. Yet we've been eating fruit for generations. And oops, people, in the last year we got a few things wrong. No more US guidelines for cholesterol. New info on statins increasing chances of diabetes and dementia. Higher blood cholesterol equals a longer lifespan. Within, to, within a point. Trans fats were banned in the US. Now, is that a good thing? I was a bit worried about this one. Because you know that the food industry in three years have come up with a new fat that will take trans fats out. So then we become unaware of what's happening in our food industry. And the trans fats, what, what basically has happened, the trans fats have um, basically been converted into a new type of fat, and it's called an intersterified fat. Preliminary research out of Malaysia University has just showed that it causes a pre-diabetic state. That's what they're going to do. So we think, oh, we've finally, in 30 years, we've finally gone, trans fats are no good. But they'll just find a new one. And the best thing is to get back into the kitchen to to feed your family, to heal the nation. Confused? Because I know many people are. The way to get out of your confusion is, is to have a philosophy. A philosophy so that you can look at research and go, that doesn't really make sense. And so the philosophy that I live by and the philosophy that we teach our students in the education course is the philosophy of vitalism. And vitalism is that you have an innate intelligence within your body. Give it the right resources, sunlight, water, good foods, sleep, connection, movement, Give it the right resources and stop interfering with it unless in an emergency, then it will give you the best of health. And the chiropractic profession is based on vitalism. And I was brought up in a chiropractic household, so that's how I, I know that this vitalism extends to our food as well. 
We have dissected our foods in mechanistic ways by fats, proteins, salts, and sugars instead of looking at the whole food and as an ancient food that has got us to this point right now. And the other thing that I do with much of what, of what I do is culture and tradition. Because I feel, I know the reason why we're here today is because of culture and tradition. It's because of culture and tradition that we know what we should be doing in order to survive to the next generation and the next generation. But when science moved in, culture and tradition were thrown out. It was seen as something that wasn't worth it. So butter, which was something in our society for thousands and thousands of years, probably 10, 15,000 years, was then seen as the culprit to heart disease and this new fandangled scientific margarine was the result. So I want to go through some cultures and traditions around the world so that you know what has happened to why we are in the state that you see right now. So let's look at how the environment dictates our food. So these are the Inuits in Greenland. They live in a very cold, harsh environment. There's not a lot of veggies around. They rely on blubber and protein. And that is a young girl eating liver after a fresh kill of a seal. So they, you know, and I can see people just going, oh my gosh, because Kim Morrison did last night when I was showing it to her. Um, you know, but this is, this was our culture and tradition. They knew that if there was no light, that they needed vitamin A and D put together in order to survive. It was through generations of trial and error that made them realize that this is their survival. They lived on the high fat, mediocre protein diet. That's what they were on. Then we go to the Hunzas. The Hunzas are hunter-gatherers, but they also eat grain. They live in a high-altitude um, high environment, a cold, harsh environment, and then it warms up, and they had to adjust to that environment and eat the foods that were available to them. And then there is a group of um, people in Afghanistan, or as the Afghans say, Afghanistan, and they're the Kriegers, and they live at 14,000 feet. They rely on yaks and and cattle and sheep uh, and goats that live at that altitude. And all they eat is dairy, meat, and five times a year they go down, they do a five-day trek to get wheat, bring it back, and they make a bread with it. They ferment everything in order for survival. So when the animals are not producing milk, they have this hard um, milk fermented that they will then soften in order to survive through um, times where no food is available to them. And these are still living today, by the way. These are groups of people that uh, have figured out how to adapt to their environment. And then these are the Hudsons. The Hudsons live in Tanzania. There is about 300 that have not been affected by any sort of um, food coming into them. They eat meat. They eat tubers. And they eat berries. That's their, their staple diet. And sometimes they go without meat and all they're doing is eating the tubers. So their diet is high carbohydrate with some protein thrown in and a little bit of berry. And they survive. Look at them. They're not fat. They're doing really well on the high carbohydrate diet. And then there's the Papua New Guineans. When they can get meat, if they've killed someone or someone's died, um, or the occasional animal around, yes, the cannibals. But their main source of diet were tubers. They were on the high carbohydrate diet. And that's how they existed. These were the hillside ones, not the ocean um, Papua New Guineans. The Maasai. The Maasai eat blood, milk, and meat. So they live in a very dry environment. There isn't a lot 
um, around. But this is, this is the way they, they live and these are the foods they live on. So it's fairly high-protein diet. And the Australian Aboriginals ate a varied diet depending on where they were. And one of the things that I love to tell is the story of Birkin Wills. Birkin Wills, it was always said that they died on the Cooper River as a lack of, for a lack of water and, and food. No, they didn't. Cooper River never runs dry. They were actually at the Cooper River in a very um, a time where there was a lot of water. So the Cooper River wasn't dry, so they didn't die from lack of water. They also had guns so they could get meat. But they noticed that the Australian Aboriginals ate something called nadu. Nadu is a, the, a seed or a grain or whatever you want to call it off a grass. And they noticed the Aboriginals collected that and so they thought, well, they could eat it too. But what they didn't notice was the Aboriginals prepared this through culture and tradition so it wouldn't kill them. But they didn't prepare it properly. They didn't soak it, they didn't grind it, they didn't wash it, they didn't cook it. What they did was they ate it raw and they died from a B1 deficiency. Because it has, we now know through science, we now realize that Nadu has something that stops the absorption and utilization of B1. And this June, I was in uh, Namibia, in Namibia, and I wanted to meet the Himbas. And I drove for two days with my husband and another group of another two couples in cars to through um, creeks and um, where no one else usually goes. It's in the coca land. And I met this, and that's my plastic bag, by the way. It's not hers. And I met this woman by herself in this creek bed. You can see it's very dry. She had sticks on her and she was going to her village. And she didn't speak a word of English, but we started to talk and I gave her some of my food. And she took us to her village and they live, these himbas, look at, look at, there's no grass. I just wanted to know how come the goats look so healthy. We were with a vet, by the way, and he said, they're the healthiest goats I've ever seen. But we couldn't figure out what they were eating. But these himbas, they live on dehydrated meats, fermented meats, and fermented dairy. They, they do um, ferment their dairy from the root of a tree that they find wherever, if you can see a tree there. <laughs> they, they do that, and they make it into a porridge as well, this root of the tree. So they've learned to live within that environment. So their, their diet is very high in protein and doesn't have a lot of carbohydrates. There are some in there. Can you, can you see that what's happened is that humans have adapted to their environment, to the food that was available to them? This is, I just want to show you some um, more photos of the Himbas. Um, so this was the Himba tribe that was close to a bitumen road. And to go and see them, you had to take food. And I went into the little shop, there was this tiny little shop, because we were, we were between Angola, we were at the border of Angola and Namibia, and at Pupu Falls. And there was this tiny little shop and had in it genetically modified maize, um, canola oil, these uh, sashes of gravy or soup that had 10,000 additives in it. Uh, what else was there? I, I, just, I was like going, I can't take that to those people. And in the end, I picked things like there was tinned fish and a couple of other things, and I took it to them. And the head um, wife was not happy with me. And this is her. Look at the look she's giving me. She wasn't happy with me because I didn't provide her with the foods that they had become used to. What was interesting is that the children in Coca Land that I travelled days to get to, they didn't have the snotty noses. 
Every one of the children there, and there were a lot of them, I'll show you, every single one of them had a snotty nose. They were just the most gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous kids. But what, what Namibia did for me is it cemented that people live in harsh environments. They live on, on few types of foods and are healthy and live to an old age. So the lady that I showed you back here, she, uh, she was almost like she, I wish I, I showed you a, a close-up of her. She would have been about 70. And she was fit and healthy and she was just um, just carrying so much weight, I could not believe it. So what we learnt is traditional ways of doing things. Sourdough bread was a three-day process. We knew that gluten was perhaps something that caused some illness, so we knew that we had to prepare it properly. We'd create a dough, a sourdough, and then um, we would ferment it, on, and then or, or we would create the culture, actually. Then we would keep adding water and flour until finally on the third day we realised that that bread had broken down enough where we could cook it and then consume it. These days it's a 20-minute like well, it's a prefix, a premix, a 20-minute rise and 20 minutes in the oven and you've got it. And in most grocery stores these days, they're already pre-baked. Um, and what they do is they just do the final part of the bake. We, chicken soups and other broths were used by the Jews as medicinal ways of getting people's immune system up. Curries were used by the Indians to, uh, to give health and it was given, given as a taste, but it was culture and tradition that made them realise that it was a way to perhaps protect them from meat that had gone off or to change the taste of the meat that had gone off. They used turmeric and cinnamon. Turmeric is one of the most amazing things for your brain. There's 40,000 um, scientific articles on turmeric and and what it does for the, for the brain. And what about cinnamon? Cinnamon, do, it's one of the best ways that you can actually uh, have your sugar used. So the Indians used to use chai tea with sweetener in it. And they would have cinnamon in it, which would help them use that sweetness. And also sugar that is still in its natural state is high in magnesium. For one molecule of sugar, you need 50 molecules of uh, magnesium. So when you are, when you're having white sugar without your magnesium, you're drawing from the body's sources of magnesium. No wonder we have a magnesium deficiency, as Damien was talking about yesterday. Seasonal use of herbs. You know, they're weeds, guys. Put them in your garden. and Like, I am never home, and I come home, and I've just got my weed herb garden growing unbelievably. Fermented dairy and vegetables were a part of, of many cultures, and it was a daily part of our culture. And whether we knew it or not, it was our way of preserving the foods that then fed the microbiome. Fermented and dried meats. Now, I have to tell you the story about what happened when I went to, I went to a lodge. We'd been out in the bush um, in Namibia for quite a while, and I went to a lodge uh, in a town that I thought I was in a Mad Max movie. Um, it was just amazing. It was called a Pua, and everything starts with O over there, by the way. So it was called a Pua, and we went to this lodge, and it said, something about welcome to our soul kitchen of traditional foods and um, cuisine. I was so excited for dinner. So I get to dinner and there's an Australian smorgasbord. And no joke, it was an Australian smorgasbord. And I went up to the chef and I went, where's the soul food of culture and tradition? 
And he got the manager to me, and I asked, where's the soul food of culture and tradition? He said, oh, you wouldn't want to eat that. It'd make you sick. I went, what does that mean? And he said, well, they dry their meat and they ferment it and their dairy. It'll make you sick. That's why we feed everybody this. I said, but you've lied to me. You're not giving me. I, was, I wanted a Mapani bug, you know, the, the Mapani worm. I wanted to try this stuff. But it's interesting how we think that our cultural foods will kill us, yet the food that they were feeding me wasn't going to affect me at all. There was also stewed fruits. We stewed our fruit. And the reason we stewed, and I don't know if you've noticed at the moment, but there's this thing with fructose malabsorption at the moment. Many people have a problem with fructose. Well, there's a reason you've got a problem with fructose. It's because your gut's a mess, your microbiome's in a mess, you can't make PEP. Um, the PEP doesn't make your aromatic proteins through the shikimate pathway, which then in turn, you don't make your neurotransmitters. So then there's a backup system and the body stops making the fructose that so passes through into the small intestine and onto the large intestine and the bacteria in the large intestine start to blow your stomach up. We stewed fruits and it breaks down those those things that may be causing a problem and helps the digestive system digest it. And and it's not the only thing that is part of the fructose malabsorption that's happening today. I really believe the fructose malabsorption is all to do with what's happening in the gut. In Scotland, I was in Scotland and I had haggis. Why would you have haggis in Scotland? It's high of vitamin... Oh, I loved it. It's high in vitamin A and D. And when there's no sunshine... You need vitamin D. And when you take vitamin D in, you must take vitamin A in. And when you take vitamin A in, you must take vitamin D in. And do you know that in nature, A and D are never separated? They're always together. And yet, we're wondering, you know, and then they talk about the toxicity of vitamin A. And then they talk about the the toxicity, you know, and then they give you D. And you wonder why we have these disparities that's happening at the moment. So the nose-to-tail eating, kidney, brain, liver, offal, sweetbreads and tongue. We used to give pig thyroid for people who had thyroid problems because it had T1, T2, T3, T4 and calcitonin in it. Now we give T3. And it's made, and, and it's made by drug companies. Why we're not giving that pig thyroid anymore is beyond me because it seems for a lot of people to work better than just the T3. There were these old traditional ways of helping, uh, helping people go through this. So the key is adaption to the environment, robustness, and spontaneous evolution. Spontaneous evolution. Haven't you all heard the whole, the whole paleo thing that's happening is that we could not have adapted to eat grains in the last 10,000 years? Well, I beg to differ. Because we have a microbiome that enables us to spontaneously evolve, to spontaneously become robust, to spontaneously change to our environment as our environment changed in order for us as humans to become some people that perpetuated the species. So this is how I feel, is that genes do not control us. They respond to what we do and our microbiome allows adaption and robustness of the individual rather than the species. And it's about changing our microbiome in order to make ourselves healthy again. So I know that uh, Kale talked about uh, the microbiome, but I'd like to continue on uh, that conversation 
because I feel that it's probably at the root of every problem that we have, at the root of the issues that we have today. Because think about it. When you, I just want you guys to do this. I want you to just put your finger in your mouth if you feel like it and do this. Does that part there connect to your skin? It does. Now I want you to do it to your anus. <laughs> well, imagine that one. Does that connect to your skin? So you have this loop system. Gut, skin, gut, skin. That's what's protecting you. So everything you put on your skin or you throw onto your, into your mouth, you have to have something to protect it. And you have uh, a lining that has mucus on it, a one-cell lining that has mucus on it, and that mucus is produced by your microbiome, the bugs in your gut. And what happens is that that just continues to help protect you. But we thought bugs, it was, remember it was always antibiotics, and now it's probiotics or prebiotics. And the new era is coming, realizing that our antibiotic era has destroyed so much of us. So 90% is the meme at the moment that's going around that is us, of we are bugs, and 10% genetically we are human. But I've been listening to some research uh, and or reading some research and listening to some podcasts recently that are saying we don't know exactly where that 90% came from. And some are suggesting it may be 50, 60. So when you hear this and you see it's 90%, just be aware that that's our knowledge at the moment. But as more research happens, we learn more. And we are in our infancy of understanding the microbiome and its complexity. So what does the microbiome do? It's for immunity and protection. It makes vitamin B. Do you know that it makes every vitamin B that you can think of? From B12, and people say, oh, you need to eat meat because you won't get your B12. Your bugs will make your B12 if they are functioning properly. It makes your vitamin K. And I find it really interesting that we all have to have vitamin K at birth. And it all started when the antibiotic revolution started. We started to kill the bugs in the mother's gut, which then didn't allow the vitamin K to be made, and then the child didn't get the vitamin K, and hemorrhagic disease started to increase. Influence of tryptophan and serotonin production. Remember I talked about the shikimate pathway, how it makes our aromatic amino acids, it then makes our neurotransmitters. Digestion and absorption of nutrients. It helps with all of them. Protection of the epithelial lining of the gut, that's that mucous membrane um, that you have, that, that flurry of mucus that protects you. It enhances the communication with cells. It corrects your food choices. There's new research out that shows that the bugs are actually telling you what to eat. So all you fussy eaters out there, they've got a dysbiosis in them. And that dysbiosis is actually saying, I only want white. I just want sugar. I want flour. I want anything carb. And that dysbiosis has to be corrected before they start to not be fussy eaters anymore. Natasha Campbell McBride has been saying this for 25 years. Science is, I saw it the, about two weeks ago it came out, where it was actually saying that perhaps the fussy eaters that you have has to do with what's happening in their gut. Protection from heavy metals. Do you know that you have a bacteria in your gut that sacrifices itself for the greater good of the, the body to get rid of heavy metals. It linches on to a heavy metal and will drag it through the system. You have three backup systems to get rid of heavy metals. So if the first one doesn't work, the blood system will work. And if the blood system doesn't work, then you have a storage unit, and that's your fat cells. 
And what I've found is that when people start to detoxify, and especially on that last three or four kilos that they lose, they become very sick. Because they're, they, what they're doing is they're forcing out the heavy metals that they've been storing for so long because their gut hasn't been working, their blood system hasn't been working, so the body tucks it away. And if we went through the seasons, what would happen is that we would gain weight in the summer and there could have been a volcano that came down and we were, had a lot of heavy metals on us and the body, if it couldn't deal with it, would store it. But in the winter, we would lose that weight because there wasn't a lot of food around and we would get rid of that heavy metals without too much sickness. But these days, we wait 40 years before we decide to detoxify. And then we get sick as we're detoxifying and it creates more and more problems. So be very careful especially on that last three or four kilos. Brain and mental health has a lot to do with the gut-brain axis and the vagus nerve. Physical health and prevention of disease. It's important. What do you think? (coughs) Very important. So let's look at the evolution of the microbiome. It was believed that when animals started to come into our um, realm that we started to get parasites. And there's a book out called An Epidemic of Absence, And it talks about that parasites actually help us ward off other diseases as long as we have them in check and they haven't taken over our system. And a lot of people do a parasite cleanse and as they do the parasite cleanse, they don't change their environment in their gut and the parasite usually comes back or you destroy the gut more. So be careful with your parasite cleanses as well. You have to change everything in order to get rid of that parasite. Change the gut. What about the seeding of the microbiome? And I know that Kale talked about this. The seeding of the microbiome happens uh, at birth. The body is amazing. More bacteria crawls up through the the vaginal area in the last three days before you give birth. The body knows how to do this, when to do it. By saying, oh, you're two weeks late and you're in danger and you go and have um, intervention, sometimes you haven't given your body that preparation. So the seeding of the, the microbiome is, is as you come through the vagina, up through the skin into the breast. And those who have a cesarean section usually have uh, staphylococcus or something like that as what they're in, like seeded with. But what I love right now is what's happening. And if you watch the movie Microbirth, you'll learn more about this, is that they're beginning to realize that the importance of the seeding of the microbiome through vaginal birth should be happening in a C-section. And so they create a cloth that has been uh, impregnated with the microbiome of the mother and as the baby comes out, the cloth goes over that baby and is drawn out through the cesarean section. So we're learning. We're learning and we're understanding that this is a vital part of our health. That if we get this, then we can continue to help our immune system, to digest food, to make vitamins for ourselves, to do so many things that our body doesn't do, but our microbiome does. And then there's generations of microbiome. So my grandmother was at the beginning of the chemical revolution. My mother was born in 1937, and she was born in the middle of a cornfield, basically, in the middle of of a chemical revolution. My mum gave birth to my sister, um, and she's not there, but um, she gave birth to my sister in the cornfields in the middle of the chemical revolution. My mum died of lung cancer. My sister died of crests, an autoimmune disease, and eventually of esophageal cancer that was caused by the autoimmune disease. What happened was that my grandmother was probably, she lived to 95. 
She was probably never exposed to chemicals as a, as a child or a, or a newborn. But my mother was, and then my, my sister was. But I feel that I was the outlier, and my brother was the outlier. We were born here in Australia without chemicals around us. We were born in a country town. As far as I know, there were not many chemicals being sprayed at that point. And I feel that we've been given the stronger body. My sister's body never worked for her. And then I pass that on to my three children. And what we're finding is that the grandmother, when you are pregnant as a grandmother and you are pregnant with a a girl, then you have three generations within you. You have yourself, the one that you're carrying, and and the eggs of the one that will come. Do you see that? Three generations we have uh, that are necessary. So I passed the best that I could on to my children. But is the best good enough? I'm not so sure. I think what's happening is that we, our microbiome is getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and and now we are seeing so many issues and so many health problems. So let's see what destroys the microbiome. We know antibiotics do. We know the pill does. There are some supplements that may have enteric coatings on them, um, and it could have some wheat in it as well, because some of our supplements are made from wheat. I don't know if you realize that. And some of the things that are happening to wheat, and I'll I'll talk about in the next slide, is what is a big issue with our microbiome. And what about antacids that kill the hydrogen chloride in our stomach? Hydrogen chloride is there for a reason. It's to stop bacteria and parasites and anything dangerous coming through. It's one, it's a pH of one, just above one. It will kill anything. But if you give it an antacid, the hydrogen chloride isn't there and things start to pass through and our gut gets, um, starts to change. This is another thing that destroys the microbiome is the food in the grocery store. That's a bird's eye view of a grocery store. Pretty scary, isn't it? When you look at that. And this is what is in your grocery store if you bother to read the ingredients. Not just the nutritional panel of fat, salts, and sugar, but actually read what's in it. And you can see there's chocolate, f- chocolate-flavored coating. What's flavor mean? You can see that there is fractionated palm kernel oil, um, and it goes on. But let me just show you what flavor is. This is strawberry flavoring made in the chemical industry. Uh, it's got solvents and diactyls. It's got some... It's got some good things, Kimmy. It's got cognac essential oil. We should get that in. We should get that one. That could be good. Um, but this is strawberry flavoring. And all flavorings are very similar. There are about 48 chemicals. There's just one or two chemicals that change it from, say, if it's a banana flavoring. And there's like apparently 3,000 flavors that you can choose from now. And they're all made this way. So when you see natural flavoring, this is natural flavoring. All they did was start with the strawberry, but it still ends up the same. If it's artificial, they didn't start with the strawberry. And what about natural green colour? You think, oh, well, that's good. That's great for me. But it's got propylene glycol in it. Propylene glycol has been withdrawn from all medications in the US because it causes uh, liver and kidney damage. And yet it's allowed in our natural green colouring, it's allowed in our food supply, it's allowed in our conditioners and our cosmetics, it's allowed in so many things. And curcumin... Curcumin comes from turmeric, but don't be fooled, it actually doesn't come from turmeric when it's in curcumin form. It's actually made in a chemical laboratory. It's not extracted from the turmeric, so use turmeric instead. What's destroying our microbiome? Genetically modified foods, especially the BT toxin. 
that's in corn. It destroys insects by when the insects eat the corn, it blows their stomach up. Imagine what it's doing to your microbiome when you eat BT corn. And now you can see why I just couldn't take genetically modified maize to the himbers, because I could actually see what was happening. See, when you're educated, and by the way, they weren't starving. I wasn't depriving them of food. They were not starving. They knew how to survive in that harsh environment. But when you become educated, you won't go for that Pringle chip. You won't eat that meat pie that's got 50 ingredients in it because you know actually what it's doing to your body. So um, 80% of our um, animals also have got antibiotics. Our domestic animals are given the antibiotics. Sorry, I say that again. 80% of the antibiotics that come to Australia are given to our domestic animals. Drenching, and this is probably one of the most dangerous um, herbicides of all. It not only destroys the microbiome of the soil, which doesn't allow the, the plants to bring up minerals and nutrition, but it destroys your bacteria. And Dr. Stephanie Seneff at MIT, when I was there and had quite a few hours with her, my jaw was on the floor with her information on glyphosate. It's sprayed everywhere, in your backyards. Um, some people have Roundup probably in their... Um, you know, in their garden shed, it's sprayed on our kids' fields. Find out. Start going back into your community and saying, let's get rid of Roundup. Start um, a revolution in your community to stop the council from spraying Roundup everywhere it is. Because Monsanto has said that it's safe for humans. Yep, it's safe for us. But what it does is it destroys the microbiome that stops the shikimate pathway, which stops us delivering our aromatic amino acids, which stops us giving, getting our neurotransmitters, which causes depression, anxiety, um, schizophrenia, etc. It's all part of it. It's not the whole story. There's never the whole story, but it's all part of it. Our water supply is also because it's chloride, fluoride, lye, secreted drugs, plastics, hormones, and heavy metals. I filter my water. I get, collect rainwater as much as I can. And this is what's happening in the world. The, the, the colours that you see is the inflammatory bowel diseases increasing. And Australia is, at its, is, is one of the worst countries. And you can see it's all the Western world that this is happening at. I want to just finish with the Hudson study because I think you'll find this quite amazing. So the Hudson study happened last year and they took 20 people from... Uh, the Hudsons, and they took 20 people from Italy. And they took them from the ranges of 5 to 70. Yes, the Hudsons, who are hunter-gatherers, did live to 70s in their 80s. This whole BS about they only live to 25 is just that. These guys, um, they took um, fecal, fecal samples, and they tested it for their microbiome. And what was interesting is that the Hudsons had no bifidus. Because they don't eat grain and they don't eat dairy. The dairy delivers the bifidus that helps you digest your grain. Um, they also had a bacteria in there that was similar to syphilis. And that bacteria, they realized, was helping them digest the tubers that were very fibrous. So we're trying to destroy all these bugs because we see them as disease carriers, but in actual fact, they are very much a part of what we have been for millenniums. They're important to nourish. And I know that you'll be given lots of information about the fermentation of foods and what you have to do. But this is what I 
believe is the, the thing that we need to do is first we remove parasites and offending foods. We have to get rid of the foods that are causing the problem. Hopefully we can come back to them, but we have to get rid of those foods. We have to rebuild with broths and spices and herbs. We have to replenish with ferments and pre and probiotics. Retain our individual foods that are working for us. Remember what, like Damien said it in the, be- the beginning of this whole wellness summit, we are individuals. Each of us have to figure this out for ourselves. It is a journey. And then keep reviewing what's working and what's not working. It's not hard. It's about getting back to foods. And it's not about us, you know, trying to change everybody on the planet. It's about you changing yourself. And that's all that you can change. You cannot change anybody else. And then by example, we may be able to influence our family and friends. And with their love and support, we may even be able to be a ripple effect to our community. And with the community's support and the changes that we've made, we may even change a country and eventually the world. Thank you. Stay there, stay there, stay there. Give Cindy O'Meara a humongous round of applause because not only not only did she just inspire all of us to up our lives another level, one thing that many of you may not be aware is that Cindy's been doing this, well you're all aware of this, she's been doing this for a very long time and this year marks a very special year for Changing Habits, 25 years of Changing Habits, so I thought Cindy... We should all sing happy birthday to Changing Habits as a mark of respect for the impact this beautiful woman is having on the health and wellness world and the country and the world. Let's uh, stand up and let's all sing a beautiful happy birthday to Changing Habits. Count of three. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Changing Habits. Happy birthday to you. Hip hip. Hip hip. Hip hip. Well done, gorgeous. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Catch podcast brought to you by Audible. Do you find that you just don't have time to read all the awesome books that you hear mentioned on the Wellness Couch? Well, Audible might just have the answer. Audible is offering the Wellness Couch listeners a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can get books like Eat Right for Your Blood Type, Why We Get Fat by Gary Torbs, Paleo Diet for Athletes, or even The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash The Wellness Couch for your free audiobook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.